Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Carrie Latticer for week four in our series, The Book of Philippians. Community is one church in four expressions, meeting online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. I don't get to do it as much as I'd like, but I just love to travel and explore beautiful places. Am I alone in that? I don't think so. Anyone visit someplace beautiful recently? Tell us right now in the chat. Name some beautiful places you've either been or want to see someday. One incredible place that I haven't been to yet but really want to explore is the Grand Canyon. Anyone been there before? I hear it's truly spectacular and that it's nearly impossible to capture with a picture or a video. It's just so immense and breathtakingly beautiful. Check this out. The Grand Canyon is 277 miles long, 18 miles wide, and on average, it's about one mile deep. Just to put that in perspective, imagine a chasm that spans from the city of Chicago out into the western suburbs and then all the way to St. Louis. Incredible, right? It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? And this canyon was formed over a long period of time by small incremental changes brought on by the flow of the Colorado River. If you tried to record these changes in day-to-day life, you probably wouldn't even notice them. But these tiny little changes added up and resulted in a wonder that is so majestic, so complex, you can't take it in from any single viewpoint. But as incredible as the sheer scale of the Grand Canyon is, it pales in comparison to the wonder of something each of us carries with us every day. Here's the hint. It's in your head. Yes, our brain. You may just think it as a pink blob of some kind, but its complexity and scale will blow your mind, pun intended. Did you know that if you took all the blood vessels in your brain and stretched them end to end, they would be about a 100,000 miles long? That means that they could be wrapped around the equator four times, right here in your tiny little head. And on top of that, our brains have roughly a hundred billion neurons, and each neuron can make about 250,000 connections. That means there are more potential connections in your brain than there are stars in the Milky Way. Remarkable, right? And here's what I hope for us to grasp as we begin this today. Your brain is being formed by small incremental changes every day. Just like the constant flow of the Colorado River shaped the beauty of the Grand Canyon, our experiences, all that we take in, shape our brains. Our experiences don't just shape us in the figurative sense. They are literally changing the form and function of our physical brain and how we use it. Our brains grew over nine months in the womb of at a rate of about 250,000 nerve cells per minute. And those vast networks of vessels and neurons are literally being shaped and reshaped at a rapid pace every single day. 
This function is called neuroplasticity, and it refers to our brain's ability to modify, change, and adapt both its structure and its function all throughout our lives. And here's why this is so important for us today. You may not be fully aware of it, but what you take in, what you experience, what engages your mind each day is forming you. Every single day, the social platforms we browse, the movies we watch, the books we read, the conversations we engage in, even how these inputs shape the folks we interact with, all of it, it's forming us. It's not actually a matter of if we will be formed. It's the question of how we are being formed and shaped by what we take in. So what we can do to make sure that we're actively shaping our minds to have kingdom-oriented perspective and imagination rather than being caught up in the current of our culture and formed only by the rhetoric of the inputs around us today. Well, that is what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our series. During the series, we've been studying the book of Philippians, and like we've been doing each week, I want to invite you to open up your Bible or pull up Philippians on your Bible app. Philippians is a letter Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, a church he founded on one of his missionary journeys. Philippi was a Roman colony, which meant the citizens of Philippi were expected to adopt the customs, values, and practices of the larger Roman Empire. They were called to give their allegiance to Caesar and their adherence to the Roman way. But in Philippians, Paul reminds Christ followers that their allegiance is to Jesus, and they are called to follow him in his kingdom way. You see, when we make the decision to follow Christ, we surrender how we previously viewed the world, and we proactively adopt the mindset of Christ. We learn to think and act and relate to others in the way Jesus thinks and acts and relates. At the start of the letter, Paul reminds us that God wants to finish the work of formation in each one of us. He's working to form us into kingdom people who make up a kingdom community. And yet, this is a daily battle, a daily struggle especially in today's world as our attention is being pushed and pulled in every direction imaginable. So many of the voices and experiences we encounter each day are working to shape us into anything but kingdom people. As Paul closes his letter, he draws our attention to this battle we face, and he tells us how to make sure that we are actively shaping our minds, our our whole selves, in their proper kingdom shape. Let's dive into Philippians chapter 4 together, where we'll see that partnering with God and how He wants to form us will include each of us making crucial formation choices. We can't always choose the circumstances or situations that we face. In fact, most often, we don't get to choose them. But we can choose practices that will form us in the way of Jesus, regardless of our circumstances. We can choose who we will become in the middle of what we're going through. Let's examine the words of Paul and how they invite us to make formational choices in the midst of challenging circumstances. As we walk through each section of this passage, I want to offer to you a practice that you can choose to engage in no matter the circumstances you're facing. 
Choices that over time will help reshape your life to become kingdom-oriented. Starting in verse 4, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Which leads me to the first choice we can make every day. Choice number one, rejoice in the Lord always. What about when you find yourself in the midst of struggle? Do Paul's words, rejoice, still apply? When we find ourselves in challenging circumstances, perhaps overwhelmed with the situation or feeling desperate for hope that things will eventually change, it can be really difficult to choose to rejoice. I don't know about you, but there were times over the last couple years of devastation in our world that I found it really difficult to rejoice. I love the aspiration of being able to rejoice in the Lord always, but honestly, that's not my tendency in the tough times. When I'm navigating circumstances that are not praiseworthy, I often find myself ruminating on them or replaying them over and over in my mind. Sometimes I'll even call a friend and vent about things. When I'm angry about injustice in the world or I'm processing or experiencing a hard loss, rejoicing does not tend to be my reflex response. But Paul is inviting us to rejoice always. There's a practice we can engage in when things are tough, when things are feeling hard and challenging and difficult. The practice is to choose to worship. The community Paul was speaking to, the Philippian church, they knew a thing or two about worshiping in struggle. They lived as marginalized people under the rule of the Roman Empire. Perhaps this idea of worshiping through struggle is something we could learn from the history of the African-American church. All throughout their slavery and oppression, the African-American church has passionately and powerfully worshiped in the midst of struggle. It's been a formational and healing practice for them as a community. According to author and theologian James Cone, this is a practice that changed them and that has the potential to change us. He says, in the act of worship itself, the experience of liberation becomes a constituent of the community's being. It is the power of God's Spirit invading the lives of the people, building them up where they are torn down and propping them up on every leaning side. Engaging the practice of worship, of choosing to rejoice even in the difficult circumstances, it changes us. Paul continues in verse 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The second choice that we can make every single day is choice number two, be gentle with everyone. Now, I like to think of myself as gentle with my kids, gentle with other people, gentle in general, but how about when someone isn't gentle with me? I like to take that as license to sort of match someone else's energy in my tone or my response, but Paul's instruction here is to be gentle with everyone. 
This is especially difficult for me in traffic, okay? I was on a busy interstate recently and I had to merge quickly with a bunch of other cars. There was this huge truck with a tractor carrying other vehicles beside me and he did not want to let me over. It, it was forcing me between a construction wall on one side and cars on the other and I sort of had to push myself in in traffic. It was the safest option, but he was not happy about it. He gave me a hand signal, you know, uh, the one, the, the very little bit of sign language that I actually understand. And here I am thinking, wait a minute, this guy wouldn't let me over. He put my kids and I in a dangerous situation, and now he wants to give me the hand gesture? I should be giving it to him. In another season of my life, my inner anger would have raged, and I might have given it back to him. But I'm learning that the choices I make in moments like these, they're forming me. If I would have sent him my own hand gesture or even called him a name under my breath, what at first may seem innocuous actually does damage to me, even if he never knows about it. Every time we diminish the image of God in another, it does harm to our own soul. It forms us away from a kingdom shape. Paul must have understood this in his admonishment to be gentle with everyone. I've had to do a lot of work in those moments when I experience someone say something harsh or condescending or invalidating. In order to be gentle with everyone, I have to stay pretty connected to myself. Some of that is maintenance work I try to do consistently, exercising, getting enough sleep, going to therapy in different seasons. This helps me to be able to check in with myself in a moment when I'm struggling to be gentle. Once I'm able to be attentive to myself, acknowledge my own humanity and what I'm feeling, it's then that I'm able to give other people the grace to be human. It's when we become aware of our own adaptive patterns, how we tend to subconsciously respond without even thinking, that we can begin to change those patterns. We can choose to respond differently. It's slow and messy, but being gentle with everyone, it's a choice, a way we can respond that will form us more into a kingdom shape. Let's continue with Paul. In verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The third choice Paul is encouraging us to make, choice number three, release anxiety to God through prayer. How about when you feel anxious? We did a whole series on mental health called Mind Matters that was so insightful, and I'd encourage you to take a deeper dive if this is an area of challenge for you. I'm not referring to conditions that may require medication or other interventions here. I'm referring to the daily moments of anxiety that almost all of us face from time to time. If you're a parent, this could be that unsettling anxiety when your kids are sick. If you're a student, that looming feeling before you take a test, or those of you in career mode, that nagging anxious feeling before a presentation or heading into a performance review. Most of us face a variety of different types of anxieties in our everyday lives. There are lots of ways we can respond when anxiety hits. We may choose to have a drink to take the edge off. We may take out our frustrations on others. Some of us may shut down and disengage in moments of anxiety. 
While Paul was writing to people who existed in a very different time, they were not unfamiliar with anxiety. They faced persecution. At times, their lives were at stake. Paul's challenge to them and to us when we're feeling anxious or worried is to pray. Maybe this is in a meeting before a big presentation, in your mind conversing with God. Maybe it's taking a 15-minute break to go walk around the block, taking the time with God and spending time listening. It could be writing out your prayers or calling a friend from your small group to pray with you. Choosing the practice of prayer when we're anxious or worried can change how our minds and even our bodies process worry and anxiety. Okay, one last choice. In verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The last choice Paul encourages us to make, choice number four, set our minds on praiseworthy things. If we took an inventory of the things we set our minds to each day, would you say the majority are praiseworthy things? We began this talk reveling at how amazing the mind is and how remarkable neuroplasticity is as a process to form and reorganize the patterns in our brains. This leads me to believe that what I set my mind to, it matters. When I got curious about what I set my own mind to, I discovered a lot of news headlines and social media hot takes and Netflix shows filled my brain space. I'd guess maybe I'm not the only one here. I think Paul gets that when what we set our minds to, that it really matters. I'm not suggesting we don't watch the news or stay updated with friends online, but I'm saying that what we set our minds to matters. Paul's instructions to set our minds on praiseworthy things comes with an intentional practice that we can engage in. It's the spiritual practice of gratitude, making a list of the things you are grateful for. It's a practice that can change our minds. I learned from my friend Sue Ferguson that this particular spiritual practice has been so powerful for her. For the last five years, she captures five things she's grateful for and writes them in her journal every single day. She says it has reshaped her mind. It's helped her thoughts turn to become a noticer of goodness in new ways. Taking time to express gratitude and naming things creates more serotonin, more pathways to dopamine, the feel-good chemicals in our brains. It reframes our thoughts, and it actually rewires our brains. According to several studies, people who engage in the practice of gratitude have more energy, feel less overwhelmed, are more resilient, and have more capacity for gentleness and joy. Ultimately, these choices are about following Jesus in the ways of his kingdom. These are the choices that Paul made, and he wants the Philippians and us to follow in his example. Because as we make these choices, we will find that God uses them to form us in a kingdom-shaped heart in us, and he will form us together into a kingdom people. And eventually, 
over time and with persistent faithfulness, we will discover that we have a whole different kind of peace that we never had before. This is not a fragile peace that we need to fight for and try to protect and defend. No, look at how Paul describes this peace in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace we are offered in Jesus is not a fragile, fickle peace. It is a force. It's a peace that actually protects us, not the other way around. Just imagine that. Imagine a peace in our life so abiding, so strong, that you weren't constantly trying to generate it or protect it or even trying to find it at all. Imagine a peace that was always with you and a peace that could actually guard and protect your heart instead of being dependent on your circumstance. Now that is true peace. A peace that is powerful and resilient, a peace that can be trusted, a peace that could actually help us find true rest and contentment. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we continue to move towards Him by choosing to rejoice in the Lord always, choosing to be gentle with everyone, choosing to release our anxieties through prayer, and choosing to set our minds on praiseworthy things, we will be forever reshaped into kingdom people, and we will live in the peace of His presence always. The good work that God wants to do in us, the work that Paul described at the beginning of his letter, will be completed. God will form us into his kingdom people, together into a kingdom community. This is the you plus life we've been talking about here at Community. And may we step through into the choices that will help lead us to that place. May we step into the fullness of life we were created to live. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take your next steps in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call you plus. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.